0: The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. So we were singing that last uh, song together, um, just the thought struck me as we were singing the lyrics. Listen to these lyrics. I know you just sang them, but I just want to bring your attention to them again. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Um, I couldn't help but think. I know that that's largely talking about standing before the judgment throne of God. But my mind was immediately taken to Stephen. When Stephen is there being stoned, he's the first martyr of the church, and he looks into heaven and he sees Jesus standing and welcomes him into heaven. On this Memorial Day, we stand on the shoulders of so many that have gone before us. And we sing these great hymns of the faith today. And I can't help but to think that even Stephen, first martyr of the church, written into the book of Acts, would be singing along with that song. My name is graven on his hands. It's written on his heart. While in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Instead it bids me come. That's good, right? Well... I thought it was good. You guys are, you know, whatever you're doing. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, turn with me there. Take your copy of God's Word and open there to 1 Corinthians 10. This morning we will uh, begin looking at, I don't know that we'll completely finish uh, 1 through 13 this morning. We'll get as far as we can today and um, and we'll pick up where we left off or we leave off today next week. But 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13, the... The title of the sermon this morning is Take Heed Lest You Fall. Uh, take Heed Lest You Fall. Uh, many of us have had embarrassing moments where we, uh, we thought, ah, nothing's going to happen here. Last, famous last words of, of anybody are, hey, watch this, right? Uh, one of our favorite things to do on Sunday nights, uh, at least for me and my kids, my wife doesn't care for the show that much, but uh, we watch America's Funniest Videos together, And uh, you don't have to watch that very long to to realize that that verse is true. Uh, If anyone thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. That is proved over and over again on that show. Well, Paul here is dealing with these Corinthians who are demanding their rights. They are saying that you shouldn't be able to tell us that we cannot eat in certain places, particularly in what was in that day uh, the equivalent of the Cracker Barrel or something like that of our day, these restaurants, if you will, in these pagan temples. Uh, we learned that they were rooms off of these pagan temples that were banquet halls or, or rooms similar to this. And as these idolatrous temples, as people would come and make sacrifices, they would take a portion of that meat and serve it um, sort of out of the back of this this, uh, this temple. And the people there in Corinth, these these Christians, these new believers, were saying, why can't we do this? This is simply a part of our culture. Why can't we participate in this? And Paul, before this, has argued that they should not eat this way, eat in these pagan temples, for the sake of their weaker brothers and sisters, because they might make them stumble. But in chapter 10, we won't get there today, but Lord willing, next week we will, He's going to show them that it's not simply, not only for your weaker brother, but when you eat in these temples, you are eating what's been sacrificed not to a real God. That was their argument. These are, there's no God at all, but they're sacrificed to demons. And that in, in doing this, they were aligning their lives, saying, I, I take the name of Christ, I worship Him above all things, yet they were trying to do that through the worship of demons. They are partnering these two things together. And so Paul wants them to see, take heed lest you fall. You're about to fall here. And so I want to read this and and show you just exactly what's here. Um, I'll go ahead and give you a, a warning today. This is a history lesson today. Paul largely goes back to the Old Testament. And I'm going to be reading a lot of passages from the Old Testament. So, you know, get ready for that. Don't walk out of here and go. Man, I wish you'd have told us about that because I just told you, okay? So be ready. History lesson today. But chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I'll point out a couple of things before we dive into the text. Number one, he's talking largely to Christians, but they're not Christians who have come out of a Jewish background. He's talking to Gentile believers. But yet, even talking to Gentile believers, he refers here to, uh, to our, our fathers, Because, see, in the gospel, the gospel is the great equalizer. In the gospel, because of Jesus, there is no Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. All things have been brought together, and therefore Gentiles who come by faith through Christ are brought into the true family of God in the same way that Israelites who came by faith looking forward to this Messiah that would come are brought into the true family of God. The second thing I'll point out to you before we even get into the text is, is that he says there, he identifies to them, and I'll talk more about this later on, but that the rock that they drank from in the wilderness was Christ himself. This is a pre-incarnate Christ. This is evidence here. This is another statement saying that, that Jesus, he didn't just come into being whenever he came in the manger, But that Christ has always been God. He is the Son of God and He has always been. And He was with them even in the wilderness. Not in the form of a man, but here in the form of this rock that is providing for them all the way. This is a rich and deep and profound text. So let's dive into it. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the Israelites' providential privilege. They were in a privileged position. It's very important that we make the connection that these first four verses are tied directly back to 24 through 27 in chapter 9. In 24 through 27, Paul is saying, don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. He's giving them warning there that, hey, there's a possibility that you're going to take this journey, but never get to the destination. So you better better make sure that your faith is well-founded in Christ alone and not trusting in other things. Run in such a way that you will win, that you'll get the prize. And it's out of that, in verse 1 of chapter 10, that he says, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. And he begins to enumerate all of these different privileged, providential blessings that they had as Israelites who came through and out of the Exodus and wandered in the wilderness and were headed toward the Promised Land. So what does he mean by they were all under the cloud? Well, to to understand what this means, you have to go back and look at some references in Exodus. Exodus chapter 13, verses 20 through 22 says, they moved, talking about the Israelites in the wilderness, they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham uh, on the edge of the wilderness. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. So they're all under this cloud. God in the wilderness is leading them by his presence in this cloud, showing them where to go. At night... That pillar of cloud becomes this pillar of fire. It goes behind them and separates them from these pursuing Egyptians. And this is the cloud that, that, uh, that he's talking about here. He also says they all passed through the sea. Well, that one's not hard to, to realize what that is. This, is, we know, is Exodus 14, verses 29 through 31, where they are leaving Egypt The Egyptians have changed their mind, Pharaoh has changed his mind, and they're coming out to come pursue them, wanting to take them back, realizing, hey, we can't give up our labor force, let's go take them back. And they're standing there at the edge of the Red Sea, not knowing what to do, and Moses takes that staff, and God parts This river and they cross over on dry land only to see the Egyptians follow suit on this dry land for God to pull back the holding back of these walls and the walls of this water comes crushing down and kills them. And the Bible says, Exodus 14, that the people saw the the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in, in his servant Moses. He says to Corinthians, all of our fathers were under the cloud and under the sea. They were all passed through the sea. And then he says, they were all baptized into Moses. Now What does this mean? Well, baptism is simply, it's more than this, but this is maybe a general description here. It's a means of identification. Baptism is a, is a voluntary statement that I am submitting my will to the leadership of whoever I'm being baptized in their name. So when it says that they're baptized into Moses, by them following Moses as their leader and going through this river on dry ground, they are baptized as, as followers of Moses. Baptized into Moses. In the same way, Christ is the leader of all believers. He is the deliverer of all Christians. We have been baptized into Him. This is what Galatians 3 talks about in verse 27 when it says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is what happens when you come through these baptismal waters. It is an illustration of what has already taken place in your life. That the water in that baptistry does nothing to bring you into Christ. You're walking through as a symbol that you are in Christ. That he has laid hold of you. That you are saying, I am a follower of Jesus. I'm counting on him as my deliverer. In the same way, they were all, he says, all of our fathers baptized into Moses. And then he says, he goes into this other, uh, other he sort of changes the, the, um, the example from Old Testament history. And he says they all ate the same spiritual food. Well, what's he talking about here? Well, this is after they've come through the Red Sea, and now they are in the wilderness. And Exodus 16, verses 2 through 4 says... The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses. They're out wandering in the wilderness. They don't have anything to eat. They grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. when We sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So he says, Don't you know that all of our fathers ate the same spiritual food? He's a reference here to the manna that was given by God in the wilderness to sustain them. Then he says, They all drank the same spiritual drink. Exodus 17, verses 3 through 7 says, The people thirsted there for water in the wilderness. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, I mean, this is like, this is the only song they know to sing. They just keep singing the same thing. Would that we have died in Egypt. Why'd you bring us out here, Moses? You know, every time, God just keeps providing, but they just keep harping, harping on this. Verse, verse 3 Exodus 17. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go... Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Here is the picture. Paul is saying to the Christians at Corinth, these Gentile Christians, who according to Old Testament would be outcasts, would be still on the outside, would not be able to say they were part of the family of God. But because Christ came, He has brought them as well as Jews who come through Christ into the family of God. And Paul says to them, don't you know, I don't want you to be ignorant of this, that all of our fathers, all of them were under the cloud. They passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses. They ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. And Paul is very quick to point out, he's very careful that they see that the rock that they drank from, it was not just any mere rock in the desert, but the rock itself that, was, that, that followed them, the Bible says, that provided water for them in the wilderness. It was none other than Christ himself. Even in the Old Testament, Jesus was there. Now, here we have in this, I want you just to see me think through this for a minute. He's talking about them passing through the water in the wilderness. And he's talking about them eating bread and drinking of the cup. What does that sound like to you? Baptism, Lord's Supper. He's saying to them that, look, we celebrate this act on the back end, after Christ has come. They celebrated it on the front end, looking forward to His coming. Alistair Begg says it this way. Alistair Begg, not Alex Trebek, Alistair Begg, who's a pastor in Cleveland, Ohio, he says, in the Old Testament, the people of God underwent a baptism in prospect of what Christ would do. In the New Testament, The people of God undergo a baptism in reflection upon what Christ has done. In the Old Testament, the people of God ate and drank a meal in prospect of what Christ would do. In the New Testament, we eat and drink a meal in relationship to what Christ has done. It's all the same thing. The focus is in Christ. The significance of all the Old Testament is embodied in Him. And all of the New Testament flows from Him. You hear preachers sometimes say that that Christ is on every page. Here's an example. That in, in the wilderness wanderings, they participated in this baptism and communion looking forward to Christ. We, here after He has come, look back and we are baptized in His name. We are remembering what He's done when we take the bread and the cup. We see in this, we see in the cloud, the sea, Moses, the manna, the water, that the Israelites were, they weren't so different than us. That God led them, that God delivered them, that God provided for them. To which I would ask you the question today, church, are we so different than they are? Has God not also led us? Has God not also delivered us? Does God not also provide for us? He has led us, if we are true children of God through Christ, He has led us out of the wilderness of our sin. He has brought us to Himself when we could not find Him. We were not looking for Him. He came to us. He has delivered us from the wrath of God by taking the wrath upon himself on the cross. He provides for us not only daily needs. I mean, look around. There's not a whole lot of us that are like suffering from hunger, all right? He provides those things, but also He has provided the greatest gift we could ever need in Christ. And when Christ came and and when He departed after being raised from the dead, He said, if I don't go away, then the Helper can't come to you. And God has provided the Holy Spirit to live within us, to continue to provide for us and lead us and guide us and deliver us from the presence of sin in daily living. Don't we have this same God? Aren't we still like them in the same privileged, providential position? Paul is concerned that there were some in the Corinthian church that were only counting on these sacraments, if you will. They were only counting on these sacraments of baptism looking forward to the Messiah and how they've been brought into that, or baptism looking backwards. Or they were were counting on the sacrament of this the Lord's Supper, and, and, and they could do this, then they were okay with God. Verse 5, though, says that those Israelites who were there in the wilderness, verse 5 says, with most of them God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Some translations say that their bodies were scattered all over the desert. And this is what happened to that generation that was, that was over 20 years of age. When, when Moses goes and instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock when, when God says to speak to it. And he says, Moses, you won't go in, neither will any of this generation that have constantly grumbled and murmured against me. They won't get to go into the promised land. Only those 20 and under. And so for all these years, they wandered in the desert. And they died off in the desert. You can imagine, they just, they just died here and there, all over the desert. They were overtaken. They were destroyed by the destroyer. And Paul is concerned that so many of them were counting simply in being part of the covenant. They were counting on Moses. They looked around and they saw this evidence of the blessing of God that they were delivered through the Red Sea, and they thought, well, I must be okay with God. And he's concerned that there are some in the church at Corinth that are saying, well, hey, I I take of the Lord's Supper. Hey, I have been baptized, then I must be okay. And to which I would say today that Paul had reason to be concerned about the Corinthian Christians in that day and I have concern as pastor of this church to say to you that I believe there are people that sit in our seats every week that are counting on baptism or the Lord's Supper or church attendance or teaching Sunday school or whatever the case may be as their hope of getting into heaven. And Paul says many of them, most of them God was displeased with them, did not allow them to enter into the promised land. And I would say to you today that if you're here today and you are counting on something other than the finished work of Christ at Calvary, his death, burial, resurrection, the life that he lived, if you're counting on anything else, then your your faith is not sure-footed. You will find in the last day that you will have been deceived. But if your faith is in Christ and Him alone, and the Bible says that there is no no more solid ground that you could be on, that in that day, He will say to you, well done, good, faithful servant, enter into the joy of your rest. If this is you today, if this is you and your faith is not in Christ alone, but you're counting in these other things, and I'm not naming names. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm trying to be very careful with who I make eye contact with in this. Okay, So let the Holy Spirit do his job. All right, But if this is you, I would not be loving to you. I would be holding back the truth from you if I did not warn you, as Paul warned the Corinthians, turn from your sin and trust Christ. You hear me? Turn from your sin and trust Christ. Whether you made a profession of faith and walked an island, whatever the case may be, years ago, but you've realized today that I'm lost. Don't let that, the pride of that, the embarrassment of that, keep you from saying, "God, save me." What? is the accolade of man what is the respect of man in that day you will not in that day be able to look around and say Kevin you saw me Ed you saw me wasn't I there because Jesus the judge who knows all who has never had a question to enter his mind will not need to go outside of himself to find out what's true of you Turn from your sin and trust Christ. The Israelites were in a privileged, providential position. And the second point I want you to see today is that the Israelites made presumptuous pursuits. I spent way too much time trying to make those work with the peas, But uh, the Israelites made presumptuous pursuits. Verses 7 through 10, this is, this is what Paul's point is. He says to them, don't be idolaters as some of them were. You say to me, you know, how do I know if I'm not really trusting Christ? How do I know if I'm only deceived and I need to, I need to be saved? Well, take a look at your life and see what you're pursuing because what you're pursuing will give you away. Paul says, don't be like them. Don't be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. And this is a reference to Exodus 32, verses 1 through 6. There the Bible says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So Aaron said to them, take off your rings of gold that are in your ears, of, of the, of the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. He received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, was that true? No. Moses is gone for like five minutes and all of a sudden they're like, we don't know what happened to him. Make us a god. And before you say, how could they be that stupid, that weak in faith, just look over your life for the last several days and look at times, time and time again, and be honest with yourself how many times you have chosen to trust yourself and your own strength and your power more than you've chosen to trust in God. He says, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now that's, that's the tie between the 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse, and this is where Paul's pointing back to. That's why we know this. The calf that Aaron made for them out of all this gold was something that they had seen over and over again while they were in Egypt. This is an idol to a deity, a false deity in Egypt. And so they've known this for all these years. They've seen it. They get out here. They doubt God, even after he's brought them through the sea. And they say, make us a God. Well, what does Aaron do? He turns back and he says, oh, yeah, I know what one looks like. And he fashions this golden calf. And here's what they were trying to do. They were trying to worship the one true and living God. By demonic means. Now does that sound like anything else going on in in Corinth? Weren't they going to these pagan temples to eat? And Paul is saying to them, don't do this. this. This has been sacrificed to demons. You cannot worship God through these means. And this is Paul's point. This is not some just blanket sin that he pulls out of the air. He's saying to them, look, you're beginning to behave just like them. Look what happened to them. They fell in the wilderness. Don't do this. He says to them also, in verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Now this is a reference back to Numbers 25. I won't read the passage. You can go there later if you want to. In that particular passage, it doesn't say 23,000. It says 24,000. Some have used that to try to tear down the accuracy of the Bible. But probably what's going on there is, is Paul here in 1 Corinthians is making this, this general sort of prediction of who, how many were there, and so the writer in Numbers is doing the same thing. And it's, it's like saying, oh, there were a couple thousand people there. He's saying there, these 24,000 fell in a single day because of this sexual immorality. Now, was there any sexual immorality going on in Corinth? You better believe it. Do we need to go back and repeat chapters 5 through 7 again? I hope not. Chapter 5, I won't won't go into a lot of detail, but chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he says to them, it's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. And you're arrogant about it. Should you not be brokenhearted over this? So he's saying to them, look, don't be sexually immoral. Did you know that every other time where the the New Testament talks about pagan food or or idle food, eating idle food, every other time in the New Testament where it talks about that, it also mentions, it ties to it, sexual immorality. So there's some way this is connected that when they go and they begin to participate in this idle food and eat this, that out of it naturally flows this sexually immoral activity. It's there in Acts chapter 15. It's there in Revelation chapter 2. I'll go back to another quote of Alistair Begg when he said, as I listened to his sermon as he preached this, he said, immorality is to be fled, not flirted with. And that's the truth. I heard a preacher this morning as I was getting ready talk about the, the devil just, just hanging on every move of Jesus, just wanting him to slip up, just, you know, Jesus, just slip up, just slip up one time. That's the problem. We see sin as slipping up. We've got to stop seeing sin as slipping up. We've got to see it for what it is. It is immorality. Flee from it. Don't flirt with it. It's not something that you just slide into. I just slipped up there a little bit. So that's the problem. We fall because we think we're mature enough to handle this. And we can get as close to the world and immorality as we want to get. And we're okay. I'm pretty mature in this. I'm pretty confident in myself. And here Paul says to them, when you think you're standing, that's when you better watch out because you're about to fall. It's never, it's never the one who knows that he could fall at any minute that actually falls. Is it? I mean, I grew up in East Tennessee in the mountains and we used to go to the rivers all the time. Swim in the rivers, wade in the rivers, catch crawdads in the rivers, all, of, all those things. When you walk out there, I learned very early on that when water passes over rocks for years and years and years, what happens? Those rocks become slick. Didn't take me but one time when I went out there as a kid with a bare foot, step on one of those rocks and feet go out from under me and hit my bottom on that rock. That hurts, right? So now the next time I go out there, I'm testing that rock, make sure I've got good footing, make sure it's not going to wobble out from under me. Before I take that next step, it's not the one who knows that falling is a possibility that typically falls. It can happen, but most of the time it's the one who just walks out there and says, Next thing he you knows, he's wet. And we've got too many people that are church members that are just walking in the world all around sin and flirting with it and just, hey, it's okay. I'm in Christ. I'm mature. And they jump out there, and before they know it, sin has swept their feet out from under them. Before they know it, they're in a mess, and they're hurting, and their family is gone, and all sorts of other things. They've lost their job. And why? Because they flirted with sin, they didn't flee from it. Paul says to them, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did when 23,000 fell in the wilderness. Verse 9, he says, We we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. This is a reference back to Numbers 21 when the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out to Egypt, out of Egypt, to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water, we loathe this worthless food. I mean, God is providing for them these quail and manna and all of this water from a rock, and they have the nerve to grumble against God and say, This is worthless food. Like when you go to the grocery store and you spend all this money bringing groceries into your house, and your kids say, "We got, we don't have anything to eat," right? That's them. You know what God does? God, in this moment, because of their worthless grumbling, their testing of Him, is God with us or not? He sends these fiery serpents that bite many of them, and many of them die in the wilderness before they come back to Moses and say, "We were wrong. We were wrong." Help us turn back. And God says, take this bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. And if they'll turn and they'll look to this serpent that's on a pole, they will be saved. Now, can you think of anywhere else in Scripture where something was put on a pole and lifted up for all the world to see? This is a picture of Christ. Even in the Old Testament, this is a picture of Christ and the Gospel. Verse 10, he says nor grumble we should not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Numbers 11:1 says the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes and when the Lord heard it his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some some of the outlying parts of the camp. This word destroyer is the same word that's used to talk about the death angel who came through at Passover who moved through Egypt And when the Israelites, by faith, had taken the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts and and, and the lintel of their doors and put everybody in their home that night, they had faith in God to protect them. Those that did not, this destroyer came through. Paul doesn't want what happened to the Israelites to happen to the Corinthians Therefore he warns them. This is verse 6 and 11 in our passage today. Verse 6 he says, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 11, these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. This is a pastor with a pastor's heart writing to his congregation flee, sin learn from their mistakes. Don't go there. In the same way, I don't want any of you to go through what the Israelites went through. So I am warning you. Ask yourself and listen to these. I want to ask some questions for you to ask yourself. Okay? I want you to internalize these and think about these. These are questions worth asking. The Word of God calls us to action. So listen to these. Are there things that are taking the place of God in my life? Are there things that I am worshiping with my time, with my talents, with my money, more than I am worshiping God? I shouldn't be worshiping anything other than God. Are there things, are there idols in your life? Is there disqualifying immorality in my life? And I don't know anything going on in this congregation, but chances are, even on a down Sunday, there's immorality being hidden in this room. Is there disqualifying immorality in my life? When Paul wraps up chapter 9 and he says, run in such a way that you won't hear the judge say disqualified. Is there immorality that's disqualifying you? things that have no business in the life of a genuine believer, things that you would be embarrassed by if anyone found out. Is there something like that here? If all of a sudden that it was made known that would ruin you, that might cause you to lose your job, I'm not talking about disqualifying you in the sense that you've got to earn your salvation and if there's something here, then you're going to lose that salvation. If your faith is in Christ and Him alone, then these types of things, they may creep into your life, but you will quickly be convicted over these, be drawn back to God. God, get this out of my life. Has there been real life change since your conversion? Or are you simply playing a game? Banking on baptism or church attendance or your own goodness? Has there been real change? Has there been this change of direction? Again, not perfectly. But if the, if the general trajectory of your life is away from the cross... How can you say with any assurance that you are genuinely saved? When I hit a golf ball, I know right away the trajectory of that golf ball, whether that's going to be a shot down the middle that I'm going to like hitting my next shot from or whether it's going to be out in the woods that I'll never find again. What's the trajectory of your life? Are you away from the cross or are you constantly toward the cross repeatedly? Even when you stray, you're brought back saying, God, God, I need the gospel every day. God, I'm so sorry that I sinned again. Please forgive me. Lead me out of that. I don't want to bring dishonor to your name. I want to live holy. I want to know you more. I want you to be in my life in such a way that this relationship's real. Are you putting God to the test? Are you genuinely content with God's fatherly provision? That's a good one. Do you look at your life and see what you have in your life, and do you grumble against him? What kind of father are you? If you were any father at all, I'd have more than this. This was the attempt that Satan made with Jesus in the wilderness when Jesus had fasted for 40 days, and Satan comes to Jesus and says, if if you are the Son of God... Turn these stones into bread because your father obviously hasn't provided for you. And he wants him to doubt and grumble against his father. When you look around at the circumstances, the possessions of your life, are you content saying, Father, whether you bless me with much or whether you sustain me in little, whether you give me good health or whether I spend my entire life struggling with disease, whether my my children are devoted to you and following you and they're bringing honor to me as their parent or whether they are wayward and walking away from you, you are good in all things. Or will you be like, are you like those Israelites that are saying, what kind of worthless food is this? I won't get to 12 and 13. I'm going to finish here. But Paul, with his pastor's heart, says to them, don't keep going down the road you're going. You're you're wanting to veer off into sin and take a lesson from the page of history. Look back at those who went before us. Our fathers were all under the cloud. They passed through the sea. They were baptized into Moses. They all ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. Yet, God was Displeased with most of them, and they died in the wilderness. They never reached the promised land. He says to them, Turn from these wicked ways. Don't keep chasing after idols. Quit this sexual immorality. Stop grumbling and testing your God. Turn to Him. I'll read verses 12 through 13, but I will not. We'll not deal with them this week. We'll come back and deal with them next week. Verse 12, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Christian, if you are here today and you are flirting with sin, stop. You say, well, that sounds easier, and I promised I wouldn't get into this, but it sounds easier for you to say than for me to do. Yes, it does. But need I remind you that if you are a true believer, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, and He will give you the power to obey. And so when you step out there in obedience to the Father, You're not counting on your own strength, but you're counting on him to provide the the power that you need to say no where you need to say no, to say yes where you need to say yes. He will give you this way of escape. He is faithful. He's going to hold you and see you all the way through to the end. But along the way, we run this race. We labor. We discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, either you've, for years, thought you were or made others think you are, or whether you're here today and you've not ever really been in a church and you're hearing the gospel for the first time, but you know today that this is true, this is my life, and I need to turn from myself stop my running, stop my sin, and trust Christ alone if I'm ever going to have any hope of being right with God, then today, in just a minute, I'll be here at the front and I would be glad to receive you, to talk with you, to pray with you, to help you to know where to go from here. Turn from yourself and trust Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in this next few minutes, God, as we gather around your word, and, Lord, we reflect on it, we listen for your voice, God, I pray that you would speak loud and clear, that you would draw lost people out of their sin, out of deserving the wrath, and, God, that you would bring them into life. Set them free today, God, for your own glory, I pray. For Christians in this room, God, I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, Help us to flee from immorality and sin and idolatry. And God, give us the strength, give us the faith, God, to say yes to following you, to turn from these things. Because the gospel, Lord, we know is not just a one-time event. It is a repeated necessity in our lives. There is not a spare minute of our lives where we don't need your gospel. So God, apply that to us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.